The Neo Reality Entertainment brand expands with a relaunch of the Neo Reality Collective Pop Culture News Talk. Your host, Eric Brown, gives his insights and thoughts in the ever-expanding news world of comic books, professional wrestling, gaming, TV, and movies. Be sure to donate to the brand and keep up to date with additional content on YouTube channels such as Neo Reality Entertainment, NRE The Wrestleverse, and NRE Pop Culture Omniversa. Today's edition of Neo Reality Collective is brought to you by Anchor.fm, a free distribution service podcasting hosting platform that allows you to record your podcast on your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so much more. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor.fm app or go to Anchor.fm to get started today. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Welcome everyone to Neo Reality Collective. I'm your host, Eric Brown, brought to you by the EverydayFan.com site. Hey, this is the 41st episode. After several delays and issues I've had in my personal life going on, I had to delay this big episode I was planning to do that was going to cover all the Star Wars stuff. But I do plan to cover the Star Wars stuff in the second half of this podcast. So let's get right into things and cover the first half of this stuff. A Marvel MMO has been cancelled. After six months after it was revealed. A Marvel MMO from the co-publisher of the DC Universe Online MMO has been cancelled just six months after it was released. Ouch. Announced in a blog post by Parrot Company. EG7, as reported by GamesRadar, the game was canceled after a reevaluation of the development risk profile, size of investment, and the long-term product portfolio strategy of the group. But simply, the MMO would be too expensive and unable to generate a certain amount of money in return. EG7 no longer sees the MMO oh, as a potentially successful piece of its business. So... <sighs> uh, the resource... Um, the resource, mainly an investment of 500 million Swedish dollars, aka 50 million bucks in the US economy, of over three years, will now be put into multiple smaller size projects, including continued support for other games like Lord of the Rings Online and DC Universe Online, alongside new game opportunities based on its own IPs. There's no indication of what these new and ongoing projects may be or if Marvel will be involved at all, despite EG7's DC Comics MMO being released more than a decade ago and Lord of the Rings even earlier in 2007, both these games still receive better updates. With the Legion of Doom episode was announced for DC Universe Online in December and the phase of, of Gunnambad uh, expansion was launched in November for the Lord of the Rings Online. So, uh, that sucked. Meanwhile, Fantastic Four continues development, and Bryce Dallas Howard says reports of her in the MCU are total rumors, and so she sets a star in it. During a press event for Jurassic Park Dominion, a fan gave us a surprise Howard a Funko Pop with Susan Storm, aka the Invisible Woman, for her to sign. The interaction was caught on camera and uploaded on TikTok in the video. She denies it and last saying, I mean, I know this doesn't involve me or anything. I swear to God, I swear to God, yeah, yeah, for real. Total rumors, total rumors. 
just for fun after signing the, and then Howard goes to sign the Funko just for fun yeah there have been like multiple up occasions where someone reportedly was set to play Susan Storm one point it was uh, let's see uh, Jennifer Lawrence then it was Emily Blunt and now it's Bryce, Dow Bryce Dallas Howard so three, three Susan Storms I'm like, they could all be Susan Storm down the road because, you know, multiverse. But, uh... <laughs> oh, man. Especially since, her, since Emily Blunt's husband is, well, from the Fantastic Four of the MCU of Multiverse of Madness. And I wonder how they're going to handle that knowing that he's dead and he has a wife and, and two kids. And one of them has the potential to shadow reality in ways that you could never imagine if he found out that the Scarlet Witch killed him. I'm sure that's not going to end badly or not going to be followed up on. Also, J.J. Abrams is still busy as ever, despite the fact that he's uh, now forever scarred by the fanbase community of a certain franchise to never be in a Star Wars movie again. He's working on a live-action Speed Racer series. Uh, Speed Racers reportedly getting a live-action series at Apple, with J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot has as executive producer. According to the Hollywood Reporter, the scripted series will reportedly be co-written by the writer of TV series Snowpiercer. He would also act as showrunner. Apple, Bad Robot, and Warner Bros. are said to have been impressed with Martinez's exciting take on the original, and the other co-writer and showrunners reportedly Ron Fitzgerald, who works with Abrams at, on Westworld. According to the Hollywood Reporter, the series has been talked for years and stems from Abrams and Bad Robot's overall deal with Warner Bros. TV. The series found its way to Apple a while back, but the development has been excruciatingly slow. In 2019, Abrams signed a $250 million five-year deal with Warner Media, which has led to some of his more recent projects. <laughs> and I'm still um, kind of amazed we got a Speed Racer movie directed by the Wachowskis. I, I, I'm trying to process how that even happened. And he also has a bunch of... And Abrams is also working on a bunch of projects for Warner Brothers. Last year, it was confirmed that a movie adaptation of the hit game Portal was still in the works. Just last month, it was announced Abrams would be helming the live-action movie Hot Wheels based on everyone's favorite racing toys. And there, he's also been working on Justice League stuff. So, for HBO Max, and we don't know what the details on that since the Warner Media Discovery happened and they're looking for an update... So we're going to have to see. Anyways, the director of Thor and Love and Thunder came out and thinks that Marvel is... Doesn't think that Marvel is passing Thor's mantle to Jane Foster. Uh, this is the thing I'm going to say. Uh, they, they, they could just have both. And, like, I agree with the director. Like, I don't think... I, I don't think they're going to do that. Even the director doesn't think so. Say it's really fun. The idea that Thorgar Stormbreaker, the, that big axe, and now his hammer's back in the hands of someone else. It's no longer his hammer. It's the idea that someone's taking his place. I think if the law fans are going to potentially see, okay, this is the passing of the torch. I'm not privy to any Marvel plans for the future, but I don't think that's the case. I mean, um, yeah, that, that that's kind of understandable because, well. Thor 
is still Thor. Yeah, like even in the comics, Thor was still Thor. He was just the unworthy one. He just he just went by his full name, Thor Odinson. Whereas Jane Foster became the goddess Thor. Okay, yeah, it's very complicated. Uh, uh, yeah, I was just thinking to myself, um, they could have two Thors. One is just the legitimate Thor, the son of Odin, and the other one is Jane Foster Thor. All right, there's like how many Green Lanterns? Like even even DC seems to know. Yeah, we we kind of have many characters with the same name. Like even in Young in Young Justice, uh, Arthur Curry says if the Justice League can have four Green Lanterns, two people named Batman and whatnot, etc. 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 Then, then the Justice League can handle two Aquaman, or three in this case. Oh god! Like even DC is kind of admitting, yeah, we can Hey, by extension, there's probably like three different Spider-Mans. Two, two are in one universe, and the other ones in the DC universe, hanging out and killing people, which is a lot of questions I have. But you get my point. So, yeah. Though so far they haven't addressed. Uh, they, they do keep mentioning the comics version of what happened in that story. But I'm like, wait. Does, does, but Jane Foster has cancer that leads to her getting the power of Thor and some aspect on that. And every time she uses it, it takes out the chemotherapy she was taking and it's slowly killing her. Because she, because the power of Thor takes away her chemotherapy radiation, so, uh, yeah. That's kind of a problem. Which leads to this question I have, um, they haven't said any of that in the trailer. And there were some people making wild speculations that, oh, well, she could be with cancer because of the snap. And I'm like, no. Is it just that impossible to imagine someone just have cancer? In stories, like, I know this is a superhero universe, and there's a lot of contrived insanity, but, yeah, there's, there's not really much of an argument to make of, oh, well, maybe she got it from the snap, twice, no, that's a terrible idea, and kind of makes this disturbing accusation. Meanwhile, Sony has announced a new Horizon series for Netflix, God War for Amazon, and a Gran Turismo show. <sighs> oh, God. So Sony's like, we're going to do as much insanity as humanly possible. <laughs> and if the Goldberg was in his prime, I would definitely say he should be Kratos. And then you can have Triple H be... Kratos in the God War sequel reboot series timeline of the Norse mythology arc, but still. So, yeah. When I heard this, I was like, okay, Triple H could play old man Kratos, whereas Goldberg could play raging Kratos, prime Kratos. Also, for Gran Turismo, uh, isn't that kind of having a lot of flack at the moment and all that controversy that happened? Probably a bad idea to start a series already on that. And Horizon's going to Netflix. And that's going to be exciting. 
I don't know about the Gran Turismo series, but uh, Amazon's currently working on a Fallout TV show and a Mass Effect show, which is awesome. Let's hope they do everything right with it. So, that's not the end of Sony's little journey around the world. They're planning to invest big in new IPs and intellectual properties. By the end of 2015, 2025, 50% of Sony's investment to PlayStation Studios will go towards the creation of brand new intellectual properties. Revealed in the latest investor briefing, Sony said that investing in a new IP is part of the overall growth plan and is looking to increase the area significantly over the next few years. While previously mostly favored on developing existing IP, pointing to a 2019 figure that saw a 77% increase in investment in its current franchises and only 23% new ones, Sony has been slowly shifting towards a more even split. By 2022, financial year, Sony will be investing 66% in existing IP and 34% in and new IP, and by the end of 2025 physical year, it wants to increase it to be exactly 50-50. This is just the latest confirmation that Sony sees great value developing its first-party PlayStation Studio, as it revealed earlier that May is investing further $300 million into developers to include God of War Santa Monica Studio and Horizon Forbidden West says Guerrilla Games. <laughs> The investment is separate from its acquisition budget as Sony is looking to significantly expand the number of studios it owns. Yeah, that, that, that sounds about right because after what happened with Microsoft buying Bungie, buying, not Bungie, uh, buying Activision Blizzard, and while there's still iffy stuff to be sorted out on that front, I understand that, expect, that, expect, that aspect because now it's like we can't, because while Microsoft has promised, that Call of Duty and all the third-party stuff that Activision created will still go on PlayStation, there could be a point in time in, down the road in history where, Activ where, where Microsoft and Sony have a soured relationship and they're like, oh, then we'll just take your IP, your, the third-party games and make an Xbox exclusive away, which would be a hell of a problem for Sony if they did not start investing in more in original IPs. So, this could help bet long-term benefits and provide a lot more new original content. Let's just hope none of them. Are, let's just hope a huge chunk of them are not live service platforms that will eventually fail because uh, they lost track of everything. Meanwhile, God of War Ragnarok, Ragnarok, rated South Korea, suggesting a 2022 release date. Ragnarok was rated 18 over by the game's South Korea Game Rating and Administration Committee, and a game being rated usually signifies that a relatively complete version has been presented and therefore is not too far from being released. So, yeah, they have. Sony Santa Monica has re repeatedly assured fans that yes, the sequel will be released this year, but they have not given a full date. I was speculating it was going to be, be late this year, probably. That was always my, my belief because they weren't sure, so we'll have to see. Meanwhile, Project Keystone is Microsoft's affordable Xbox Cloud Gaming streaming stick. Microsoft has confirmed that it's working on an affordable streaming device capable of streaming Xbox games through the cloud. Windows Central reports that it received confirmation from Microsoft that its streaming dongle, of course, codenamed Project Keystone, is meant to be an easy and affordable option for people to want to play access to the Xbox Cloud Gaming. Our vision, our vision for Xbox Cloud Gaming is unwavering. Our goal is to enable people to play the games they want, on the devices they want, anywhere they want. 
As announced last year, we've been working on a game streaming device codenamed Keystone that could be connected to any TV or monitor without the need for a console. Microsoft also told Windows Central has decided to pivot away from its current generation product Keystone. It will take its lead learning and refocus this efforts in a new approach that will allow it to deliver Xbox Cloud Gaming to more players around the world. I wouldn't be surprised if they start thinking at this point, could we still even make a console? Like they even admitted in past interviews that they don't make as much money as they wish they could with the consoles. They may sleep say, we can sell the console, but we'll make our money back in software sales. So I'm thinking, is that the route they're going for with this? Because, okay. So, now this is gonna be brief. I'm not gonna say much about this to help in order to give people a lot, to give people a lot of uh, leeway what they can take with it. Cyberpug 2077 has a leaked document out in the data miners that, uh, that they just released that they might be playing their big expansion to basically go into to some details there's going to be a place called the combat zone an arena an area arena an area of the pacifica region which was mentioned in the new main game but remains locked is said to be opened up in the new expansion which was previously featured in the sour 2077 art book Additionally, there will be a sports dome will be fully finally be open on a large inaccessible area for the main game And it's said that the house area will, will house one of the new main missions of the expansion Although the league appears to be incomplete instead the expansion will include several new side missions as well as seven new main missions According to the user who has seen the league files the, the expansion will also include fixed requests world stories and new world encounters it's also noted that there seems to be a really little way of new dialogue for a certain character, prompting speculation that there may have been an issue regarding uh, availability when producing this expansion. Instead, there will be other several instances of other characters silencing this certain character. That said, the new expansion does include some changes to the game's potential en ending. And... The expansion is currently targeting a 2023 release date with a large portion of CD Projekt Red's developers working on it. Meanwhile, the artists reveal why they use that infamous shade of yellow and yada 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 on that front. So, I'm not saying much about what exactly is going on, but I will say that this is a big deal that they accidentally leaked this detail out and the data miners found it in a relatively short time because everyone loves data miners. So we'll have to see where that front goes. I'm curious about this expansion pack and see how it will affect everything going on. We'll have to see, no idea, but I'm looking forward to Cyberpunk 2077 expansion pack and more patches and updates, even while the game go even while Witcher 4 goes into pre-production. Let's just hope they don't screw this up. So we'll be back after these ad breaks and we'll see you all again in a few minutes. Uh, this was Near Reality Collective. Take care and I'll see you all in a little bit. Take care. Welcome back everybody. Let's finish this whole thing off with Star Wars Celebration News. First off, we're going to talk about the show that some people have been dreading and some people are excited for, The Acolyte. So, 
During the celebration, during the Vanity Fair's cover story of it, uh, the Acolyte has been revealed to be part of the perspective of the bad guys, the Sith. And I'm just like, wow. Um, you, 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 you realize the title is literally the Acolyte. And the only time we ever hear the word Acolyte is from Sith religions in the Star Wars universe. There's literally a Sith training known as Sith Acolytes in the Old Republic of MMO. You did know the expanded universe was canonical for a time, right? Anyways, the writer and showrunner, Edland, has spoken at length about the influences and ideas behind the upcoming Disney Plus series. Giving you details about this mystery thriller and how she approached the project, considering as the first screen told, story told from the High Republic era, she affirmed that she is very familiar with the timeline and that she has ambitions to explore a different, peri a different period in the galaxy far, far away. The truth is, I, as a major mega fan, came to them with this idea. Uh, as, as I said, I think the best place to put this era is you guys have not quite explored yet. They were very enthusiastic. It wasn't that they didn't want to explore that existing world, but I think they already were because the Mandalorian and a lot of television projects were really relying on legacy characters. I was coming in at it as a fan who was much more into RPGs that the extended universe feeds on. I knew the timeline really well. I was like, I think you want to explore Star Wars from the perspective of the bad guys. Because they never did that in the Star Wars universe. There's not like the Rule of Two saga. There's not like the Darth Malgus book. Uh, clearly, we don't know anything. I was coming at it. I knew that the timeline really went. I was like, I think you want to explore the perspective of the bad guys. The best time to do it is where the bad guys are widely outnumbered when they are actually, actually the, are essentially the underdogs, for lack of a better term. So this would be the, that era. Oh, God. And then she talked about how she was inspired by stuff like Western and Akira Kurosawa samurai films and revealed that she found herself drawn to martial arts movies. Actually went toward more martial arts films and saw eyes that are a little bit more personal and less global and galactic. Those words were on a mission that were deeply personal. Well, the Sith are trying to take over the galaxy with Palpatine eventually being the one that takes it. And that their plan was now, we can't fight them head on, we have to go through the shadows. Those words were having a mission that were deeply personal, with people feeling wrong and having to make it right. Okay, um... I'm all for giving Sith a perspective of, oh, well, not all the Sith are completely evil. The Sith actually have reasons why they fell to the dark side that were not just, ZOMG, they're evil by default. Like, but the Sith, at the end of the day, do want to do very, very bad things. At least they'll admit they're the bad guys in the story. Whereas the Jedi will not admit they're hypocritical and very stupid. Like, very stupid. Yeah, th this series is making me confused, and I haven't seen the show, and the show's not out yet. So, she talks about more about these martial arts films, and then developed the idea with Lucasfilm executives, who recognized the opportunity to delve into a mystery hole that will explore the galaxy of shadowy secrets and emergent dark side powers in the final days of the High Republic era, which is one of the few tidbits that we were given about the series when it was announced. 
What's so exciting about these influencing stories is that you don't always know exactly who the bad guys are and who the good guys are. Yeah, it's called the prequel series. Like, we knew Palpatine was a psychotic, evil, psychopathic, more psychopathic Machiavellian schemer, but the Jedi were just as stupid. And like then eventually got contrived with cloning technology, and then all of a sudden Palpatine is just coming back, and we don't know why, unless we buy this book for $24.99. So, this takes place roughly 100 years before the Skywalker saga, uh, so... This is the same era that's been the backdrop for many novels and comics of the High Republic, though those stories explore very facts. Facts of a conflict that unfolds 200 years before the movie, sparky speculation amongst fans where a dark Plagueis might appear. Can we have Darth Bane show up first? And they also mention how the, um, how the Acolyte will turn parts of the old expanded universe into canon again. So, if I had to guess, we're going to get Darth Bane showing up, we're going to get his apprentice showing up, we're going to get Darth Plagueis mentioned. Like, Darth Plagueis was already canon, but they don't really, but it's not the moon Plagueis we got. It might still be, but yeah. So, Kathleen Kennedy, because the person I really want to hear from is that person. And what's wonderful about her ideas is that she knows it all. I mean, she read a gazillion books inside the EU. There are little bits and pieces that she's drawing from that no one has explored yet in the on-screen storytelling. Well, we could make those things happen if you just went out of your way and just established a Star Wars multiverse. And she approached the series as a fan who is much more into RPG role-playing games than the extended universe fed, feeds on. Why, why are you calling it the extended universe? Everyone calls it the expanded universe or the Legends canon. Oh, man. So as that continues on, another Star Wars series was announced, Skeleton Crew. What? The series will focus on a group of 10 year old kids from a small planet who get lost in the galaxy far, far away and must try to find their way home. The series will take place after Return of the Jedi and will fit within the timeline the Mandalorian Ahsoka show takes place in. So this apparently, uh, so I wanted to look into more details about this. One of the rumors I keep hearing about is that this takes place on, what, what else do you think? Tatooine, like that's the only place in the galaxy. Can we go somewhere else different? Like, how about Narshadah, the criminal underworld's main main utopian site? Wouldn't that be exciting? Focusing on Narshadah? How about not Tatooine? Or its sister planet, Jakku? Like, can we just not? Like, I think they've showcased so much Tatooine stuff going on uh, in recent years that I was sick of it now. Like, back then, they met historical significance in terms of the Star Wars universe, the housing of Anakin Skywalker, the slave state they're in, and the overthrowing, but now it's, like, so insane. And how much they put so much emphasis on Tatooine, like it's the most important centerpiece of the galaxy. Like, there are other planets we could go and explore. I want to see Narshad. If I. The best way I could. I already know why they're probably using Tatooine mostly, is because that's cheaper budget. They could use that planet more instead of Narshadah, which is a massive city like planet, like, but rotting from the inside and out. 
Whereas Coruscant's also a city planet, so they can't do that, which is probably one of the reasons they blew up Mandalore because, oh, well, we can't do that. that that's expensive unless we do full-blown animation. So we're not gonna do that either. So yeah, I'm kind of annoyed with tattooing at this point. So anyways, Ian McDermott, the iconic actor who plays Palpatine, says, uh, don't get your hopes up regarding whether or not Palpatine Sidious will appear in Obi-Wan Kenobi series. That is a disgraceful question, of one which I have no intention, intention of answering, but you can't win, can you? I will say this, you will remember the very first Star Wars film, subsequently christened a new hope. The Emperor was present, his presence was felt, but he never appeared. He was sort of interpreted by Moth, by the great Peter Cushing. Then more recently, in Row 1, his presence was felt, but he never appeared. So I would say about future speculations that if you're expecting me to show up in the game in the flesh and blood, don't get your hopes up. I'm happy. So, yeah, the presence thing, yeah, I get. But, like, would I like to see Palpatine show up or even get a series about him? He says that would be interesting. Palpatine prequel series would be very interesting. During the panel at Star Wars Celebration, the actor was asked about rumors of a Palpatine series starring Tom Hiddleston, prompted by fan art that circulated a few years ago. I think that is a very good rumor. I think you can do that with particularly any of the characters to whom it has not been done with already. Just don't do Mace Windu and we'll be okay. We saw Palpatine rise when he was 50, did we? What did he go through to get there? And how did Sidious come about? I think all of this is very interesting. I no doubt there are people as we speak somewhere around the city thinking along the lines. It would be great. Of course, this is just his speculate, but let's be real. Let's let's do that. Let's get a Palpatine series. He, we could get two. We would get two clashing philosophies going on here: the rise of Palpatine at at the um, as the apprentice of Darth Plagueis the Wise, but we also get him as the Machiavellian politician. We would be seeing the aspects of the Force, Darth Plagueis's research, and his eventual murdering of Darth Plagueis. And we would get Palpatine as the Machiavellian politician rising to galactic power. Ooh, yes, let us do such things. I just hope that they don't do something stupid and having to justify why he turned to the dark side. Can we just have it be a psychotic nut case? So anyways, Star Wars The High Republic will showcase Jedi centuries before the Empire. Oh, yeah, that plan that blew up uh, by the Death Star, got it. Star Wars The High Republic series comic will relaunch with a new number one in issue in October. The series brings back that Cameron Scott art and the artist, though the cast said it will be both changed dramatically. Phase 2 is delving back further in the Star Wars timeline, 150 years before the events of Phase 1. The series will introduce a new Jedi character named... I can't, I can't pronounce it, but it's set on Jedi. The Holy Moon introduced in Rogue One, a Star Wars story. That means fans will get a chance to see what Jedi was like before the Empire blew it up. Though, even in this era, Jedi is a dangerous world where civil war is brewing. Alongside the relaunch, they will also introduce a new series called High Republic The Blade. The series is written by Light of the Jedi's author Charles Soule and drawn by I, I, I can't pronounce it, but he but this art this the Darth Vader. 
the relaunch one, not the not the Salvador La Roca and Karen Gillian one. The High Republic Blade serves as an origin story for the character reporter Indel, who appears as a much older Jeremiah and Cook in Phase 1 era. The series will reveal how he held his reputation as the Blade of Bordora. Cavern also previously penned the High Republic novel The Rising Storm. Scott, Scott discussed the book, book and the appeal of expanding Star Wars through novels and comics in 2021 in an interview with IGN, so you can look that out. Meanwhile, the teaser trailer came out for Stars Andor, and we see clone troopers again! Yay! The more superior troopers are much better than the stormtroopers that are stupid idiots who can't hit a thing, even if it's at point blank range! And I'm pretty sure Church for References Blue could do better than them at the shooting range. Church vs. Stormtroopers comic. Make that happen, Marvel. I don't care if you have to work with DC, you gotta make that happen. Oh, man. So Andor came out, I may comment and talk about the way it looks. As it turned out, the team behind is foregoing the impressive CGI technology of stagecraft in order to utilize the more traditional way of shooting. Starting with the first season of The Mandalorian, they used a technology called Stagecraft, which uses an immersive CGI screen that wraps around the set to create a faraway world of Star Wars. This technology has been used for Mandalorian, Boba Fett, and Obi-Wan along with other Disney Plus shows. But Star Wars Andor will buck the trend. We haven't been working on Stagecraft for all our shows, though. It is the first Star Wars show on Disney Plus that has not been leaning into that technology. They will utilize as much on-camera filming, combining location shooters, and backlot sets. The star, Diego Luna, chimed in on the different shooting styles, saying his work on Rogue One, which he says was allowed to be different and we kind of have the same look. We can be different, Rogue One in a way was kind of a homage to the original Star Wars A New Hope, but told an actual original story and actually focused more on the Rogue One crew than they were all brutally massacred getting the Star Wars plans to, getting the Death Star plans to Leia, which was actually a pretty bold move, like, the only good Star Wars movie of the, Star, of the Disney Plus era, I feel, of the Disney era, I feel, because you had, it was a prequel, yes, but it focused on new characters, it gave us an interesting story, and they had the balls to kill everyone. And there were debates going on whether or not they should let some of the characters live. Nope, they said, nope, we're killing them all off. Now, granted, Rogue One has its problems, such as needing expanded material to, to, to flesh out the characters more, which is a hundred different pre problems why I don't like the Disney handling so far of this. But, yeah. So they talked about all this and how stage trust has been a game-changing technology for Hollywood, finding in all shows, kind of, including How I Met Your Father, traditional shooting is still around, Disney's not mar marrying its Star Wars shows to stay craft, it creates that specific look and style they're going for. So at least they're not forcing it. Also announced at, at Star Wars Celebration, Jedi Survivor, the sequel to Jedi Fallen Order. First trailer in a, with a 2023 release, day, release year. <laughs> In a brief cinematic trailer, we see Cal Kestis after the events of Fallen Order, where he is still on the run for the Empire. Well, the trailer is short, or it's got plenty of Star Wars with new Inquisitors and new mysteries. So, <laughs> K 
Curiously, Kals, who spent the previous game at getting, getting a family of allies, is all alone, and his lightsaber, which he spent so much time rebuilding, appears to fall into the hands of the Empire. Oh, and also the ship might be destroyed and everyone might be dead, but you know, this is the Star Wars universe. We can't have anything be optimistic in Disney's world. Which is weird that Disney has this very opposite viewpoint. Like, Marvel has hopeful stories. Star Wars? <laughs> we can have hopeful endings. They will immediately destroy everything in the six seconds they can. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to Jedi Survivor. I wouldn't be surprised if he dies in this because, yeah, it, it's, it, it's Disney. Also, Ahsoka is set to uh, the Ahsoka series is set to also te has a first look that was only um, that was only showcased at the celebration. But we did, but because the internet and the fan base likes to think that we should be gatekeeped out of it because we did go to their show all the way in California, because everyone has money to go all the way across the country, or for those who are around the world trying to get to one location just to be there for a few days, because that's certainly justifiable. Especially in this current state of the world. Some decide to take liberal use with their phones and record it. Showcasing what seems to be teasing live action versions of the iconic characters Sabine Wren, Chopper, and Hera Sandula. Will be part of the series and with a mural of Ezra Bridger and the Ghost Crew. So there's a good chance he's likely going to appear as well as a live action character. They also confirmed that the actress who will play Sabine Wren... And Anne shared a bit how much this role means to her. So much I can say. I feel like I've just been adopted into a new family. I feel like that way about everyone I work with, but also the fan. It's just that the most welcoming, creative, I mean, I never experienced anything like this, set is going really well. I know how much Sabine means to many people in this room. I know how about much she means to Dave. I think you guys are going to be really excited about the journey she's about to have. I mean, <laughs> considering how you retconned a little bit of history, and revealed that uh, Sabine giving the lights, the dark saber to to Bo-Katan spelled doom from a foretold prophecy that if you did that, it would spell doom for the Mandalorians. And now everything she knows is loved and loved is long, long dead. Disney, you really depress me. It's like, yeah. In the Mandalorian, in the, it, it was revealed that the Mandalorians are dead. Most of them are dead, and they showcase the brutal bombing of Mandalore, the destruction of the city, the killing of the Mandalorians, and I'm starting to think that, yeah, everything that happened in Rebels was ultimately for nothing. Like, half of the stuff that went on for Sabine's character arc was now for nothing. She just... Now, because she's going to regress, probably, if, and if they do it well, she's probably going to be on this mission to try and push herself to a point where she can't stop because, well, she remembers that, in her eyes, she killed her people again. So, yeah, that, that, that sucks. And last but not least, there is a new animated series coming out. Star Wars Tales of the Jedi. Yay! Wait, this isn't the Legends one? Which was set 4,000 years before any of the movies. But instead, this is going to be six episodes focusing on other characters. 
There will be three Ahsoka episodes, three episodes focusing, and three episodes focusing on Count Dooku and Qui-Gon Jinn, returning with Liam Neeson and his son joining on the role. Yay! But there is something that was introduced to there, and now everyone can't help it. Baby Ahsoka! Yay! Baby Tano! Yay! It's the adorable one! And they keep mentioning, um, they keep mentioning, uh, baby, the baby Hutlet. Uh, yeah, they keep bringing him up saying he's the OG, and I'm thinking, okay, where is he? Is he dead? Like, we have never, even in Legends, we never got that answer. After he was introduced, they start teasing that he might be dead, but he might not be, and that Jabba's father is just a very greedy bastard. But yeah. So Ahsoka is going to have her mother show up the very early life before Plucone took her, and they were never seen again. Dark. So this will focus on her early childhood, pre-Jedi, her time spent with in Skywalker, and facing Inquisitor after Order 66, which I'm pretty sure is from the Ahsoka novel, but will be retconned out of existence with a new material added. Count Dooku's episodes will focus on a more similar format, part of his life as a Jedi before he turned, Liam Neeson during, his, during the later years, and Liam Neeson's son is joining on the ride to voice the younger Qui-Gon. So, get ready for that. So look for, looking forward to this story, let's hope we get more stories down the road and more past tales also explored. <laughs> Anyways, uh, <laughs> this is about all we can talk about for this day. We'll be back hopefully tomorrow, unless anything comes up, That for the 42nd episode, since we also have the next set of news this week that came out after the Sorrow Celebration ended. So we'll be back again next time. Stay tuned for this last ad break. This was Neo Reality Collective, pop culture news and reviews talk, uh, brought to you also by by EDF every by the Everyday Fan site.com. Check out their links in the description below, and I'll see you all next time. Take care, enjoy more content, and stay watching in the pop culture news space. Be sure to donate to the brand. And keep up to date with additional content on YouTube channels, such as Neo Reality Entertainment, NRE The Wrestleverse, and NRE Pop Culture Omniversa.